I love that no matter what universe is, Carol Danvers is just a cunt. <laughs> like, nobody likes her. And maybe that's why they cast Brie Larson. <laughs> just someone that's naturally unlikable. This episode of the um, podcast, and yes, we're still whistling through the what was supposed to be January, but between me and you, it's not going to be January. Bonus episodes for our creative focus, and this month, as you well know, if you've been listening vehemently and aggressively following us on all platforms, then this is Warren Ellis Month. This week, we're going to be looking at the Ultimate Galactus Trilogy, which starts with Nightmare and then Secret, and then Extinction. But before we get into all that, you're listening to us. Uh, for the people that have already followed us and subscribed and liked and commented, and by the way, Spotify now, you can rate us, so give us a five-star rating. And if anyone does a good good rating at five stars, we'll read them out on the next podcast. Anyway, for the people that already have done it, I apologise. Don't blame me. Blame those dirty freeloaders that are just clicking on us and not subscribing or following on all platforms that you can listen to podcasts. So the usual Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. We're also on YouTube for one shots where we chop up the podcast and put some nice animations behind. And we're also on Twitter and Instagram. Whew, deep breath. So that was a mouthful. But come on, please just click that button, baby. Give it a little push. Give it a little tease, a little a little tender nudge. That's all I'm asking for. Let's do this, baby. We don't have to tell anyone. It can be our little secret. <laughs> <laughs> and with me today, oh, God, how lucky am I? How great it is to be loved by you. First of all, Tim, how are you this week? I'm good. I'm really good. Uh, very excited to talk about this. Let me tell you, can I tell you guys a story, though? Yeah, please tell me a story. Absolutely. <laughs> so you guys know I'm really into the movie Liquor's Pizza. The fans may not know, but we talk. I, I always talk about this like offline with these guys. And if you've seen the the trailer for that, you know it's set behind the David Bowie song "Life on Mars." Yes, yes, yes. Uh, are you guys Bowie fans? I love him. Yeah, Devo mm-hmm. when he passed. Absolutely. Absolutely, Devo. Yeah. One of our deep geniuses. So my kids, when I drive them, I have to drive them to school. And they're two and five now, and they're to the point where they they get into fights a lot in the car. And so I decided I'm going to put something on that will interest them. So I put on in the, in the car Ziggy Stardust videos because I know my daughter will find it very interesting. She's a girly girl and likes to wear makeup. She started love it. They both love it. They're like call for the for Bowie all the time now. They get in the car like Bowie, Bowie. <laughs> oh, and, good um, parent in, good parent, well class yeah, parent in. <laughs> she's like, my dad showed me Bowie, and he wears makeup and eyeshadow and blush, and, I, and she's very, very excited about it. But that got me think. That's not the story. The story is. <laughs> it was valid though. I enjoyed about, it. Thank you. Yeah, me too. <laughs> about David Bowie, and I'd forgotten this, this story, but he used to. So I live in Salt Lake City, Utah, and he. Use my my local comic shop, my LCS. The shop owner told me one time that he actually was just like there one day on a Sunday. Bowie walks in to the shop, and you'd be like, "Why? 
what the hell is David Bowie doing in a random comic shop in Salt Lake City? This is a true story. It turns out we have like a world-class cancer hospital here. And so he was getting treatment at University of Utah Hospital about a year before he died, like over a course of a few weeks. Really? Yeah. And so he would, when he would come in, he, I think he must have come in on Sundays because he knew it would be like less crowded, you know? And he came in and he always asked for the same comic book. You, do you guys have any idea what that would be? You would not. You would never get it. He would come in and he would ask to get the newest volume of Nailbiter by Joshua Williamson. Yeah, that was his comic he read. No. That's so cool. Yeah. Have you guys read that one? It's very good. But yeah, he was like a, a huge Nailbiter partisan. So That's comic, crazy. Isn't yeah. that crazy? Another one that slipped through the Marvel thinkers at that time was Sam Humphreys, Tom King, Tom Taylor. Yep. Joshua Williamson, he's been doing Flash for quite a while now, hasn't he? Yeah, now he's doing Batman, I think. Or, oh, really? Yeah. Really? I think he's starting on Batman. And they seem to use detectives like training wheels, don't they? Like with Tiny and like you go onto that to touch the water and then see if you want to take the step up. Yeah. How do you follow that? You usually have the burden of following Brian, but Tara, you I know, no, right? Do you have do you have anything possible to add to that? Um <laughs> No, unless Unless you want to go back to the whole Paradise by the Dashboard Light reenactment, I could do that. But <laughs> oh, you could? <laughs> Not right now. Oh, <laughs> but man, off the air. <laughs> but I do know all the parts. Shall we get started on the on the main topic for today? Shall we get Let's going? Let's do yeah. it. Okay. Well, thank you for that story, Tim. That was. Do you know what I thought he was setting this up for, though? I thought he was going to say Ultimate, Ultimate Galactus Trilogy. Like, I thought, like, no, like I was thinking, funny. like, surely that's the only thing that he could finish this off with. <laughs> <laughs> so, despite the fact it was a stellar story, there was a twinge of disappointment at the end. Maybe I should have done that slide. Like, who's going to doubt you? So, the Ultimate Galactus Trilogy. A little bit of background on Ultimate Comics to start with. It was a diffusion line. For Marvel, it started in the year 2000, ran until the year 2015. I think it had two soft reboots in that time, and it came about when a lawyer, Bill Jemus, had recognised that Marvel had become impossible to read because of its deep lore and history. It was impossible for kids to read because it was too expensive to follow the complete line. So he proposed a complete fresh start. Not C.B. Sapolsky's fresh start, but a, a clear line in the sand with barely any origin stories. We just pick up with these characters 10, 15 issues in and we rewrite the original ones. So with that, Garth Ennis, Mark Millar and Brian Michael Bendis were brought on board to start Ultimates, which was the equivalent of the Avengers. We had Fantastic Four, Ultimate X-Men and Ultimate Spider-Man. The line was an absolute money tree to start with, but it became simply a rush to recreate the events of the main line of that time. And it concluded with Jonathan Hickman's Secret War in 2015 and gave birth to the all new, all different, where the best bits, i.e. Miles Morales, were cherry picked and dropped into the main continuity. The actual event, the Ultimate Galactus Trilogy, was a riff on Fantastic Four issues 48 to 50, which introduced Galactus Silver Surfer in the early Silver Age of comics. And it has, with Warren Ellis, that dark pseudo-realism that we've come to expect through reading all of his comics recently. Whew, that was a mouthful, wasn't it? 
Oh, the story. <laughs> the story. What about the story? So, basically, guys, the story is this. All the people of Earth are simultaneously affected by this post-apocalyptic vision of pain and suffering with what looks like atomic weaponry wiping out whole races and it is put into the minds of every single person on the planet. The Ultimates see this as a, a psi attack from a foreign party and the X-Men the ultimate X-Men see this as a young mutant unable to control his powers. They descend on a location and what it turns out to be is a herald from space, not the Silver Surfer, but the vision come to warn planet Earth of the incoming doom of Galactus. And then it follows the story beats of Fantastic Four issues 48 to 50. And we'll get onto that more as we, we go along, I'm sure. First impressions, I... I absolutely loved the first volume of this. Absolutely loved it. I, it just felt so real. Superheroes were... The decisions they were making, the way they were speaking to each other, almost had like military position. There wasn't the gusto, bravado, the hubris that you'd expect from it. It was very clinical, military operation, very incumbent to the state. And then you had the X-Men, which were almost anti-heroes but even yeah. then there was a lot of infighting within them so there's a line in it that when uh, wolverine tries it on with jean gray and she's like you've got to be fucking kidding me you were sent here to kill professor x now first questions i suppose have you guys read any of the ultimate universe previously because this was my first experience of any of these characters total virgin to it i have i've read uh, ultimate spider-man if anyone's read anything, it's probably going to be Ultimate Spider-Man, the Bendis story. I read that. I've read Ultimates 1 and Ultimates 2. But beyond that, this is the just the third thing I've read. I know nothing about Ultimate X-Men. So I was very interested in that whole drama too, Matt. Um, but I, I don't know anything about Ultimate X-Men. So I don't know what may have been happening on the side at the time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Ultimate Fantastic Four, likewise. The only thing I know is the, is it the maker that comes out of it? who's got like that um, track cycling helmet on, the evil Reed Richards. That was very prominent, I think, in Al Ewan's early work in, for All New All Different. He was in... Okay. Yeah, it wasn't the All New All Different Avengers because that sort of morphed into Champions, but I think it was the new Avengers. And oh my God, like there was such a blunderbuss approach to All New All Different. And I kind of miss the haphazard nature, the willy-nilly production of titles that so much was missed. I know we've said it, so many times but this is how black bolt and hawkeye are eisner nominated within a fortnight of being cancelled it's actually why i stopped buying single issues because you couldn't maintain the whole line and whatever you bought you felt you had everything but then you'd always miss out on something that was seminal and the pain yeah. in the art of buying single issues from ebay to catch up fuck it like the trades are always going to be available when you say that i feel this anxiety in my chest because that's exactly what Same i'm doing here. right now trying to make sure i've got a checklist am i mm. getting that as my shop habit do i have to come mm. back and get all that stuff did i miss something this is just very anxiety inducing i need to move to trades too cb sabolsky coming in with the line in the sand that i needed fresh start it told me it spoke to me matthew <laughs> you need a fresh start <laughs> <laughs> and i even yeah. had a rule that anything before that i'd continue to buy in full runs in single issues that lasted the equivalent of zero minutes because you look at like what for this to try and get this in single issues on ebay 
dude, you'd be spending like like oh, a lot of capital, but to just pick up the three stuff. trades, it cost me like fifteen quid or something, like less than cover price probably at the time. It's ridiculous. I just did Comicsology. At this point, Same. like this stuff, I'm not even gonna try to track it down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking at the shelves in my bright, shiny new library, they are literally full. And I've said to myself, some of this I'll want to keep forever. Sweet Tooth, Transmetropolitan. How much is just there for the sake of ownership? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, that's what I do too. I mean, this is sort of completely off topic, but I will buy almost anything. But then when I read it, I'm very sort of like judgmental about it. If I love it, I'll keep it. If I don't, it's gone. So I mm. do call the collection, but I, I will buy anything. When I read it, I have to make a decision for that very reason. It's just like my house is, it's like coming out the fucking doors. <laughs> with you. The windows, yeah. you know, it's like it's a fire hazard at this point. How do you get rid of them? Do you give them away or do you sell them? Or do you return them? I try to return them if I can, depends on how good a condition they are mm. and how recently I bought them or if I, if I think that they can resell them. Otherwise, I'll just donate them. I don't even bother with selling them. Unless it's something yeah. I know I can get something for. I'm not, I just, I don't have the time to like, be a, market, yeah. a marketplace type of yeah. thing. I, I don't want to sound like a smug cunt and get everybody against me, but ultimately the time it takes <laughs> to do eBay against what my professional rate is, I might as well have just worked for that time and invoice somebody. Like right. it just makes totally. no sense. Unless you have like a 10 year old that like one pound or $1 is still a lot of money. Although I doubt that it is these days. <laughs> but like, let's say five, like I'll give you $5 an hour to list all this on eBay. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Should we get back onto topic? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. yeah. Did you enjoy this, Tim? I did enjoy it. I liked it a lot. I had a great time reading it. We were talking just briefly before about how economical the storytelling is, how quickly a read it is. 360 pages total. I breezed through it. It was really a pleasure to read. Mm-hmm. And like we were saying, there were some in some stuff, like any Marvel event, if you're not steeped in that current moment, is going to be. Yeah. Some plot beats or like character beats are going to be confusing or at least raise questions because I'm not, I'm not steeped in the ultimate universe, especially, or at least this period of it. And, and I agree the first, I actually liked it best and I'm a Fantastic Four fan. I liked it best before the Fantastic Four came in. The first volume I thought was my mm, favorite. So and they're favorite too. Yeah. yeah, I loved it. A little story so, about that first volume. Tell us. Warren Ellis was only supposed to be writing the first volume. The story beats were set out by Mark Millar, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be Millar's story because of the number of titles he was writing at the time. Uh, Warren Ellis was only doing the first one for him. So I feel the tone of that is very prescri- prescriptive to Ellis, whereas yeah. Mark Millar fell ill. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I loved this as an event from start to finish, but that first one was very atmospherically Ellis. Yeah. Yeah, it felt that way. Yeah. The dialogue, the like yeah. little quips from him, and which is not to say it's derivative of other things he's done, not at all. I mean, thinking about this, I don't think I've read an Ellis superhero comic. I mean, I know him from Brands Men. No, that would make sense. You know, mostly Transmetropolitan, I think was the biggest one I knew him for, for doing this uh, spotlight. But I, I think this is maybe my first that I can remember uh, superhero. But you can tell, I mean, you can still see the beats. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. that, that are characteristic of his independent stuff. Yeah. For example, Jeff John's Justice League. I always felt that I was missing something. I, I always felt like there was so much going on I was supposed to be reading. 
it was almost unresearchable because it was in continuity, it was out continuity, it was past continuity, future continuity. Is this foreshadowing or is this referential? And it just confused me. All yeah. the little things in this were enticing. I was like, oh, I yeah. want to find mm-hmm. out more. Oh, oh, I wonder if, it, is this like typical of the line? Like, maybe I should buy that first omnibus of Ultimate Spider-Man, despite not having the money at the moment. <laughs> but yeah, I just felt, I found the whole thing just enticing. I spoke briefly about the existential nihilist approach to planetary, to Transmat, to Desolation Jones, but with different notes on them. Spider Jerusalem, he's lost faith in the human race and he just sees it as something that's going to play itself out almost to extinction in planetary it's the vastness of the universe makes life inconsequential and again here we have an external threat that is so belittling to everything that we know and love that it could be wiped out in a thought that again goes back to him growing up in a thatcherist england in the 80s it sours me a little bit when things get political very few people can write in a way that makes it unalienating to somebody. We're not in the days of Silver Age whereby the two universal truths on Nazis and racism are bad. And you can personify that with a character or a caricature. But I have to say, he finds a great tone with it. It never makes me curl up and go tense. Even though I wasn't introduced to all this stuff ahead of time, I felt like it was a page turner. I was definitely invested in it. It didn't slow down for me. Even when I was a little confused, I had this feeling like if I just push on, it'll make sense. And it did. So I really enjoyed it. I thought it was an enjoyable read. I agree with what you both said. For some reason, the beginning was the most compelling to me. The one thing I did really like about, and I believe this was in the second volume, I loved the vision flashback stuff, how the vision originated. I love that. That he just does that, the flashback stuff so beautifully across his all of his writing. We've seen parts of it in Desolation Jones, and here mm-hmm. it was just like, yeah, yeah. and that was part of the second volume. That was very, very memorable to me. But beyond that, yeah, Marvel and that were like the two things I really, really enjoyed. And I'm not saying I, I disliked the second volume on the whole, I did not. I, I quite liked it, I just found it left memorable. But like any middle volume, that's going to be yeah. the case. In any trilogy, you set the world, you undermine it, and then you succeed. And that whole undermining process is less active. It's more subterfuge. It's more finding something out that wasn't as expected, really. They bring in uh, FF comes in volume two, right? Is that right? Yeah. 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 Here's a funny thing that I noticed that I've never noticed with Fantastic Four before. They're all a physical contradiction to their nature. And I don't know why it's taken me this long to work it out. Ben Grimm's looks like a monster, but he's got a massive heart. Mm-hmm. Reed Richards is flexible beyond any measurable barometer, but he's emotionally rigid. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Johnny Storm is Mr. Cool, but he's a complete hothead. And Sea Storm is a complete and utter spunk trench, but she's invisible. <laughs> <laughs> but- <laughs> A what, Matt? <laughs> a spunk trench. That's what I thought you said. <laughs> no, yeah, but like in that, in that day, though, that would have been like a, like a characterization, wasn't it? Oh, God, she's so fucking beautiful, but yet nobody can see her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Her other power is forceful, yeah. though. You can't even get near her. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Like, I'd never... Yes. Maybe I'm forcing it onto the characters, but it's interesting, nonetheless, to think. Thinking's fun, isn't no, it? it's true, Everybody though. should yeah. think more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'd like to encourage thinking here at the end. Right? Yeah. 
Everybody, if you take one thing from this podcast, thinking is good, do more of it. <laughs> you know, I thought the FF was the most, I would say the most disappointing part of the story. There was a disappointing part because we didn't really get anything from Johnny or Ben. That's okay. Yeah. And Sue, I have to wonder whether he was, this is referential to the original Lee Kirby run. And, you know, I read all of that. I remember thinking when I was reading it through that Sue is a non-character. It's her entire existence is to be refrigerated, not kill, but like it's this motivation for Reed or Na- uh, Namor, right? And their disagreement is all about her. And it, she's not interesting. Everything was like either hypersexualized to the extent that she wasn't included at all. Why not just have Reed? Reed's the only one that mattered in the story. Half the team doesn't appears in like three panels, you know? So I, right. Reed in the three catalysts. Yeah. <laughs> That's <right>. so true. <laughs> they did so, feel like a bit of a, yeah, not even a Greek chorus. That's too important. While we're still talking about the characters, and you mentioned Vision, Tim, I loved that reveal at the end of the first volume. Now, to clear everybody in that may not have read it, oh, by the way, spoilers. <laughs> spoiler, spoiler, bad language. Too late. You can't catch me. <laughs> uh, the first volume sees it was this broadcast, this psychic attack across the globe. And the Ultimates, a.k.a. the Ultimate Universe Avengers, see it as a psionic threat that they have to go and investigate in a very military way. They are a very state-orientated team at this point. Uh, And then the X-Men see it as a potential new mutant that can't control the powers. And they find, where is the, um, what's the actual destination that they go to? Somewhere in um, Russia, like deep-ass tongue-something. Yeah, you're right. You're right there. Oh, we're piecing it together, people. <laughs> huh? My head is Tunguska, but I don't know. So that was an actual real-life event that an uh, asteroid hit in whatever oh. time it was. Was it 1984 yeah. or something like that? Or 1964, whenever it was? 1904 here. Yeah, 1904. So, yeah, that was a true event. Kind of like how Fargo Series 2, you know when they have that inexplicable... Have you watched Fargo? No. Not the show. Just the movie, not the show. Okay, the show is absolutely incredible. Season two is one of the best. Oh, good. One of the best individual, probably the best individual TV seasons I have ever seen. It is fucking amazing. However, there is an inexplicable event. Now, people that have watched the series will know this inexplicable event at the end. And it comes from true reports of that happening in that area at that time. And it's very conspiratorial and and whatnot, and it's very off the time that it's set. This was kind of playing with the same, the edge of the bat, where it was taking a a real-life instance and then extrapolating into the world of superheroism. It's it's really clever. So they find this underground bunker, and the X-Men are kind of a dysfunctional group. They don't really trust each other. And then they... It's flicking between the two teams as they come narratively and physically to the centre of this bunker. And there's two things I loved about that. One, the reveal that it was Vision, who was a herald, and he's suspended, stripping parts of Vision and making cybernetic, deranged, unintentionally, soldiers, like super soldiers. And one of those, Cap's fighting. And Cap's not this chest-beating, full of hubris, for-the-flag superhero, you know, truth, justice, the American way. He turns to them and says, I read that this was a slight that him and Mark Millard did in, in, around this time to the way Garth Ennis was writing, rewriting 
history in his way that he was very sympathetic to say like the French's surrender in World War II and things like that that you know the hard decision had to be made and and the fighters were no less brave and the fact that Cap turned around and sort of said to him look you're fucking evil it doesn't matter what the motivation is I'm going to slap you down and they basically have a battle to the death and this mean aggressive fucking and he says this one line because the bloke's doing typical superhero villain moves and fighting backtrack on the deck, choreographed. And Cap just says, he says, showboating doesn't matter in fighting. The only thing that matters in fighting is winning. And then he just mm. fucking brutalizes this Russian super soldier. So, yeah, those dark tinges of characters. Just in general, yeah. I don't think, other than, as you said, Fantastic Four a little bit wishy-washy. Sam Wilson, oh my God, how much did I love Sam Wilson? Oh, what famous. a characterization. God, not just like wet behind the ears like companion. He was like military fucking excellence. The go-to guy, super intelligent, super able, super tactically enabled. He was just brilliant. And they find him in the middle of the jungle as well, don't they? And he's kind of like, look, why do you want me? And Fury says, this is the reason. He went, I'll be there in five minutes. (laughs) Sort of thing. So, so good. So good. Marvel as well. I like the ongoing Marvel to Marvel joke that was running through it. (laughs) And I actually think that's probably about as good as Marvel's ever ever looked. And I thought it looked a lot more like Starbrand than it did look like Captain Marvel, the colour scheme. I don't know anything about Starbrand, but I know it didn't look like other Captain Marvel stuff for sure. The Marvel costume reminded me of the Captain America, like, Kree costumes. Yes, yes. Yeah. I'm not, excuse me, Captain Marvel costumes yeah 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 oh yeah okay there wasn't anything in this where they did an ultimate version of any of the characters that wasn't fantastic for a side that i didn't just love i love that no matter what universe is carol danvers is just a cunt <laughs> like nobody likes her <laughs> and maybe that's why they cast brie larson <laughs> just someone that's naturally unlikable like i'm seeing the method to the madness now Oh my god. I came very close to spitting my tea. I caught myself. With the X-Men? Prickly to each other, and I didn't know that what that was about either. That's just mine not been well-read in Ultimate, so. I don't know. Matt, I, I agree, like, you were saying it earlier, like, that stuff just intrigued me. Like, it made me want to mm. know more, as opposed to being irritated. That's a really good point, because sometimes it just makes me turn away from something. This made me want to know more. One of the things that I picked up on that I really liked, that in the original Galactus trilogy, the original Galactus came out in this kind of Roman Greco sort of space age costume, as Kirby liked to draw at the time, with the big G, big uppercase G. It was supposed to be the god, not a god, and Silver Surfer is vis-a-vis for the fallen angel. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting how they played that element of it into Cap's crisis of faith. Totally. And there was was a great juxtaposition between one was almost a confirmation of the God, uppercase G, to this being something that puts the God, uppercase G, in doubt with the heroes. Well, Cap specifically. I mean, considering how parsimonious the storytelling is, the fact that they spent some time on that was a big deal. And it was carefully done as well. Mm-hmm. We should probably mention that Galactus here is not like an entity. <laughs> it's not like a Galactus of original Fantastic Four where it's a singular entity. It's basically like a massive number. I don't even know how to count, like even estimate no, they... the number 
of like small robots. Like um, it seems small almost like- sentient robots, right? Yeah, that combine together to mm-hmm. create like a hive mind. Yeah, I kept waiting for them to say those words exactly, but I don't think they ever exactly said it, but that's what it was, yeah. The scale that you can finally get is towards the end of the book where there's a picture, they have like images of Jupiter. Is that, is that right, Tara? It was Jupiter? Yeah. Wasn't it Saturn? The ring around Saturn? Saturn? I remember seeing something that looked like a ring until you got closer and then it was actually all the little tiny. Ships. Yeah. So I'll extend it out in a ring and they said that that line of sentient robots is 100,000 miles long to give you a sense of how massive this thing is when it comes to take out, yeah. take out a planet. And that, when you're talking about the original Galactus being like the standing for God or being the God as opposed to a God, and, mm-hmm. and Cap kind of talking about, you know, Cap riffing on his crisis of faith at the end. It got me thinking about, you know, that there might be a connection there between this hive mind. So this came, this book was written in the 2000, mid 2000s. Yeah, and it, it could be that, I don't know, this is just me thinking off the top of my head that this hive mind idea, this idea of maybe the combined, it's not so much social media, that's, I would think of it now, but the internet as being a connectivity and being like godlike in our, in oh, our good yeah, comparison. Yeah, 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 it's good. So it could be something like that, or at least that's a connection to draw on the original Galactus and then also on Cap's Crisis of Faith. I thought it was an interesting way to present Galactus. I really, really liked it. And do you know what I liked about it the most, Tim? And you scoffed at me at the time, you scoundrel. When I said, when I said that, um, who, was the, who was the celestial that appeared over Earth at the end of Eternals? Uh, I forget the name, but yeah, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, whatever he is, the big yeah. ugly bastard. That I yeah, said to you, it took me out of the film, because if you present something that massive, the gravity of that mass would take both the moon and the Earth out of orbit of the sun, and just its presence would be catastrophic. In this, they get that science. Reed Richards says, just by its presence, the gravitational force will start pulling the Earth. Anything that isn't bolted down will just start flying towards it. I love that. I love that. I was like, (laughs) yes! Thank you! Thank you, Warren! All is forgiven! (laughs) I had such a nerd boner when I read that. Immediately took a picture and sent it to Tim. There you go! Newton's second law, motherfucker! Yes, yeah, Newton's, Newton's second law of thermodynamics, motherfucker! <laughs> Science, Just to baby! Add to, the credit. <laughs> to add to the credit, yeah. I wrote the Eternals did not read this comic. No. no. Well, I don't think yeah. they read a lot, to be honest with you, mate. Although, as we've said, <laughs> as I said previously, that I've watched it a couple of times on Disney Plus, and I, am, I have warmed to it slightly compared to... You compared to how I felt coming out of At the first, yeah. cinema. Yeah. It was like watching a different film, but then I think I slept through a lot more of it than I actually anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> We've like, got that going for us, haven't we? Yeah. Have you rewatched it, Tara? Yeah, that's why I warmed a little bit when you were like, traitor! <laughs> like, but wait! <laughs> the whole Cersei speaking to celestial man where it's revealed that they're robots because i said to you like how, how when when did because everyone's saying they're robots Tyler. like what that must have been the bit that we co-slept the whole <laughs> film makes a lot more sense now <laughs> if only we had slept on different scenes it could have made sense so much stuff. yeah we could have we could have pieced together an accurate review yeah. <laughs> how did you guys feel about the the way that they ended it and the way that I liked that there wasn't the we all need to come together trope of superheroes, the Ultimates and the X-Men. 
They came together, they clashed, then went their separate ways through Nick Fury, who I love the, the ultimate Nick Fury, the, yeah. the original sort of Black Fury. I've got an anecdote about how Samuel L. Jackson actually came to play him in the MCU. Oh, I can't wait for that. The way that he just like kept everybody apart. Nobody, you don't have to get along, but we all need to do this for the survival of the planet. And that you had a two-pronged attack with Professor X and yep. Jean Grey, who discovered that... Mm-hmm this a robotic swathe of sentient um they're almost like bugs like flies even yeah. when professor x touched them with a small amount of his mind the humanity organicness they felt was so dirty they ended the connection professor x felt their disgust x fell to the floor so he worked out if he could have a big enough connection with enough people that he could he could stop them coming because of the revulsion to what they were about to anticipate. And right. working alongside them was the Fantastic Four and Reed Richards, who said that going into the multiverse, that we're not going to take Galactus, as he's called, into yeah. another one just to hurt other people. But if we can find a fledgling universe that is delta amount of time, the smallest amount of time before the Big Bang, and insert Galactus into that, Galactus turns around and goes away because it wasn't energy efficient to carry on engaging Earth. It wasn't the superhero fist fight. It was more of a cerebral ending, which I thought actually matched the cerebral nature of this trilogy. I I like the fact that it matched the cerebral energy. I did feel a little bit jarred because I'm so used to the big buildup at the end. Like it took me a minute to catch up with myself, for lack of a better way to put it, that it was, you know, really end scene after that that they were kind of moving on. <laughs> Very much so. So it was a bit jarring, but but I like it in the end. I thought it was so creative. Very, very creative. The idea that... So as I understand it, and let me talk through it and see if, if you guys think I'm wrong about this. So basically, Reed has discovered earlier in the story that there are... There's a multiverse, and, you, mm-hmm. and he figures out a way to open a portal to this very, very... A very... Like a nanosecond before that universe's Big Bang. He induces it by opening a portal to that universe, firing a weapon, like a missile into it, uh, creating that Big Bang, and then channeling that energy to blast the the Galactus Ring, which is in close Earth orbit. And I thought that was so creative. I love the idea that it's not just like a battle. Nick Fury is, is the nexus here, and each of the pieces are working perfectly together, but separately. And like you said, cerebrally, almost literally, yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, Professor yeah. X, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. There's a panel right at the end where the energy actually destroys the 20%, where Iron Man looks up and he's like, like Nick Fury's like, oh, 20%, we've lost, right? That's not yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah it doesn't sound like it. Yeah, but the Iron Man understands. He's like, 20%, I wonder dot 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 and then it turns out that that galactus actually has made has done the calculations like it's just not worth you know doing it's both repulsive and also very damaging to continue i'm just gonna move on right my only complaint about that was when that happens there's like three more panels in the story end it's very abrupt that's what i meant (laughs) that's what i mean about the jarring yeah Yeah. and also the way that they close it up because haven't we just doomed another planet they went no don't worry we've sent the vision with how to fend them off don't worry about yeah. it. But how many fledgling universes are there? And also, it's not a get out because that universe would have had sentient life eventually. Yeah. But I guess yeah. there's an infinitive amount of fledgling universes in the multiverse. And there's That's only the X amount of planets that need defending. Right. I don't know. It was, like you say, unseen. Perfectly put, Tara. Yeah, right. It was just boom. 
roll credits. <laughs> the end. I tell you at that part of the story as well, something that I found very foresight into modern warfare is that Cap does the duologue with Fury about religion and he says, oh, I, like I feel completely neutered. This isn't something that you can point me to punch him. It's very symptomatic of modern warfare. It's all done in information. It's all done through yeah. electronics and the perversion of a country's system. Mm-hmm. And I felt that that was so a true. very sort of prophetic scene, unintentionally so, I would say. That's a really good point. The Nick Fury line that I'm sure you guys remember too, when they're talking about how's the next planet going to deal with it, he just says human beings can kick the hell out of anything. And that's, <laughs> and oh, that's the way it's fixed. Dude, <laughs> I've got to read the final page. I'm not sure. No, I won't do a Samuel L. Jackson because I'll get it wrong and it will just come off offensive. Unintentionally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he says, yeah, you're right. Human beings can kick the hell out of everything. So I tell you, Cap, all this made you think about there might not be a God. Do you know what it makes me wonder? I'm wondering is when I get up to them pearly gates, is God going to put up a fight or is he just going to move over and let me sit down? <laughs> Gotta love him. Oh, and the anecdote, the anecdote about how Samuel L. Jackson became the MCU's oh, yeah. fury. Garth Ennis told whoever it was that was the artist on whatever thing, maybe he was doing the Ultimates. I, I, I can't remember. That's not the important thing. He said, I want him to look like Samuel L. Jackson. So the guy oh, nice. took it really literally and drew him as Samuel L. Jackson. So not knowing that Samuel L. Jackson is a massive comic book fan. So he buys this issue and he's he like, himself. what the fuck? <laughs> and then he shows his like, agent, he goes, that's me, isn't it? And his agent goes, that is definitely you. So this was still in the days of Ike Perlmutter saving them and buying them out with his toy money and being on the precipice of Marvel Studios. Marvel Studios did the Man-Thing film, didn't they, pre-MCU? So it was just before mm. that was becoming a thing, Marvel Studios as a standalone entity. Well, they went to the bank because they'd already sold all the IPs to keep them solvent in the mid-90s. They were left with like Nick Fury, Black Panther, Captain America, Shang-Chi. They used them as collateral. The last 12 sellable IPs, if Marvel Studios doesn't make money, you keep those IPs and then basically... Can you imagine if that had happened? So they gambled so heavily that the MCU Marvel Comics could have been intellectual property-wise bankrupt if that hadn't have worked. Crazy. So in either case, in either case, it was in that sort of era pre-MCU. And Samuel Mm -hmm. L. Jackson said, okay, I could basically, you have stolen my image, but don't worry (laughs) about that. Just write up a contract that says, if you ever make a film with Nick Fury, I'm going to be Nick Fury. And Marvel went, and you don't want any money. He went, hell no. <laughs> so that's how, that's how Samuel L. Jackson became the Nick Fury as we know it. <laughs> oh, I love that. I never heard that story. Hey, there's a man thing? Yeah, that was that. the first Marvel Studios film, yeah. Oh my God, I never even heard of that. I got to look at that. Is it it's, any good? Yeah, it's okay, but it's very, it's the darkness of night and red eyes in the forest sort of thing. To be absolutely honest with you, it's more like an R-rated, you know, like the, the, the Swamp Thing, but sans actual appearances of Man Thing until the final closing stages. I'd watch it, like it's decent enough, but it's very low budget, small cast, stuck in the swamp, wood hut sort of film. It's half decent, like it's worth a watch once. Is this comic the first appearance of Ultimate Nick Fury? I don't know, you know, is it? I don't know. I'm wondering because um, that is such an interesting thing. If like they just came up with that character design and he happens to read this comic, 
that explains all of the MCU Nick Fury, which is such an important character. It's like iconic at this point. Yeah. When Hugh Jackman broke the record for the single appearances for one character, everybody made a big deal of it. Nobody acknowledged when Nick Fury broke that record. Oh, really? I heard that. I didn't yeah, know it was like, broken. No, exactly. Yeah, I think he's on like 12 or 13 appearances. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. Hey, what did you so, guys think of the uh, Silver Surfer character? I was confused at first, but... I was a it, little bit. Because it's definitely not Norian Rad, is it? Almost like the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Yeah. Totally. And I, yeah, I had to do background research to find out he was Galactus Harbinger from before because I hadn't read the original. I thought the design was great, though. And again, the, oh, yeah. the religious undertones great. with the... Because I thought it might have been Angel to start with. Yeah, the wings. Uh, yeah, Worthington III with the wings. But no, they were, yeah, heralds, but kind of like four horsemen kind of mm-hmm. all slammed together. But I'm fine with that. I think it's because I'm not directly attached with any of these characters. I thought most of them were only an improvement. In the same position, there's none of them that I find precious, so precious that I don't want them, to, you know, that I can't stand to see them in variations. Yeah. I don't think with things like the X-Men, yeah, there's been so many inc- incarnations that, I mean, what does one more matter? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I have no, I have no connection to a Silver Surfer, really. I don't think I've ever read a standalone Silver Surfer comic, I actually, to be honest. I haven't either. It hit me. Other than the Donnie Cates, like, one, yeah, tried yeah, more yeah. one. That was I hated, I hated that one. That, that, that's what put the final nail in the Donnie Cates coffin for me. I hated it. <laughs> really? Yeah, because I know that that Norin Rad is very complicated and very wordy. It's almost kind of like a a hybrid of prose and comics, the way that he speaks. It's very theatrical. But with Donny Cates writing it, I thought it was someone that didn't have the vocabulary to write that, writing how he thought somebody with the vocabulary mm. would write it. And I found it very, mm. very cringy that this... It just came across garrulous as opposed to theatrical, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. just a, Totally. Uh, I've got a word for this. And all I can think of is the Furious 13, which is tristecophobia. <laughs> oh, it was circumlocution, which is, ironically, the unnecessary use of long words. Oh, <laughs> ironically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's perfect word for that. Yeah, so... That's weird. You have, like, a writer so ill-suited to the character, but a artist that is so perfectly suited to the character. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Together. Was that during okay. Venom, too? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. very much so. It was at that era, and he was also doing Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was on everything then. That was crazy. Tara. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, Matt. <laughs> Do you have anything to add to that? <laughs> well, um, I agree. <laughs> Man, that was so good. I love that. Yeah. And what what are your feelings on him as a writer? Now we're four parts of five in Tim. I'm very very impressed with him. There are tropes and ticks that he has, but they don't feel forced to me or redundant when I see them. The small character moments, the quips, I find them very, very, very entertaining. And I love his sort of like prophetic vision. Like the things mm-hmm. he's writing 10, 15 years in the past, and yeah. like very, very, very modern. Mm-hmm. They're not anachronistic at all. I'm looking forward to reading a lot more of his stuff. Like I said, before we started this, I think I'd only read most of, and not even all of Transmet, but I, yeah. I would continue to read him. Certainly, yeah. Feeling the same way. Hadn't read, to my knowledge, any Ellis before this, and I'm now interested in a lot more titles. So I have a tendency to read something first and then look back at the date where it was published, and I've been surprised at how long ago it was every time there's been a gap. So I'm really enjoying it and glad that this was the introduction because I probably wouldn't have sought it on my own. I think he has a very intuitive idea of the human condition. He portrays, irrespective 
of what the specific excellence is of his titular characters or the the central protagonist. He always breaks it down to a human element. They're all fatally flawed, almost in a Shakespearean way. They all have their Achilles heel. Shakespearean is a wonderful word to use for it because that is the one sort of unifying element for mm. me so far too. That that's speaking to the human condition piece. And what we said in previous in the previous episodes, that little quote at the end, I have absolutely no doubt he could be a prolific stand-up comedian. Oh yeah. Like even in this, there are there's the little dark quips and one-liners. You know, the way that he reduces Tony Stark down to this over-enthusiastic, but nonetheless unsuccessful womanizer. Yes. <laughs> I think we talked about it with Desolation Jones. I think it might have been last week where yeah, yeah. he can, like you're saying, reduce a character, you know, give you a, a couple of details that truly fully flushes out like a unique, distinguished character. You know, not distinguished, but distinguishable from all others. He's very good at team writing in that way, you know? Very good. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't take a lot for him to distinguish the characters, and they're very clear. Yeah, he's a very, very good character writer. Very good for team books. So, to finish off, uh, does anybody else have anything else to say, or are we we all about boots full? I don't really have anything else. No, I don't either. No, me neither. No, so I'd say that was another successful podcast. (laughs) (laughs) A brilliant (laughs) <laughs> resonated throughout <laughs> thank you very much for joining me thank you for your combination Com- combinations 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 contributions thank you for your contributions contributions guys i like them thank you for them <laughs> so before we go i am not on social media but you can find the end part at under no at the end underscore pod there we go on most locations and if you're just for example let's just say you're listening on on youtube and and you might be and you want to say where can we find this podcast search for at the end underscore pod or the end pod and spank media and then you should find us because the end is quite a, a common thing to search for on spotify apparently i didn't have the foresight to search but you know we live, we learn. <laughs> Which one, we're about 30 episodes in now, so who'd be fucked if I'm going to change it at this point? <laughs> so Tim, where, where can people find you and would you like to say goodbye? I would like to say goodbye, just for this week though. Uh, you can find me at TM Bagshaw at Twitter. And I would like to say goodbye. This has been a lot of fun, guys. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. I wasn't sure I had much to say about it. I'm not sure I still do have much to say about this one, but I've enjoyed the conversation. I can definitely echo that. I can pick up from there. <laughs> This is Tara, and um, I've been happy to join you guys, as always. And I'm just saying goodbye for now, too. The easiest two places to find me right now are on Twitter. I'm under Film Noir Girl, spell the girl with the purr. And there's an NPOD link tree in my bio there. And on, if you're on Discord, I'm yes. Tara Loves Noir there. And I also have reviews on Eats Worldwide website at the gww.com. So hit me up, and we'll talk about the end. Nice. Fantastic. Thank you both so much for joining me today. And I'm Matt, by the way. I'm Matt. I always forget to say who I am. Matt. And you won't find me anywhere except from the podcast location. So, like, subscribe, follow, rate us. Berate us. I don't care. Apparently, it's all <laughs> metrics. But at least we have one thing to say. We have been, and this is the end.
<laughs> 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 oh, <laughs> wonderful.